Hi, my name is Doug Livingston, one of our two hosts of the Renewable Energy Hour right now. Um, and welcome to the Renewable Energy Hour. Joining me is my guests, slowly, slowly uh, seeming to be permanent. I don't know if I don't know if you feel that way. Uh, co-host Chris Love. Hey, Chris, are you there? Hi, I'm here. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you fine. You you sound much better than when you were driving. Yeah, well, problem is, is the power just went out at my shop, so I'm probably going to have to head home. <laughs> oh, good grief! You're 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 in the dark on your cell phone. Yeah, I just I saw it on the way in. I was like, oh, is that lightning? No, it was a transformer exploding. Oh dear, that's going to be a while. Yeah, yeah, a, it's a probably a bad one. It's down by the river in the mills. Yeah, so. da- a downline can get fixed faster than a transformer. Yeah. Um, so uh, let me know when you got to duck out. If you got to duck out, um, uh, why do you have to duck out? Can't you just well, stay on the cell phone? My, my phone, my phone's not charged up enough, so I'll see how far I can make it on charging off this computer. Ah. It's not getting charged. All right, all right. <laughs> well, we'll limp along as far as we can. Ah, con- country living, isn't it fun? Yeah, well, that's the thing at home. I know that I have power. That's for yep, sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I was teasing friends in Seattle. What's a power outage? <laughs> yeah, that's when that's when the operator me has to go out and tinker with it for fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, every now and then I'm not paying attention, and my batteries are old, and and I let it get to the low voltage shutdown is the closest thing I have to a power outage. But one yeah. minute, one minute later, it's back online. Yep. And I got new batteries in there. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Because I have just been bombarded by people with failing old battery banks. As is is typical this time of year in the off-grid world. People who use their batteries heavily. You know, when the sun is shining every day and you go into the evening with a full charge, even if the battery bank is a quarter of the capacity that it used to be you don't notice because you still have power in the morning and the sun comes back and then wham weather like this hits and you realize you have no storage capacity and you need new batteries so people yeah, those long nights compared to the short nights too long nights difference. and and low sun getting blocked by more trees and more clouds there's a little, this this actually this part of the Lower 48 has the worst ratio of or of winter sun to winter light resource to summer light resource of anywhere in the country. Uh, this area does. Yep, no, largely because we have such incredible sun in the summertime. That ratio right. that ratio is more extreme here than anywhere else in the country. You'll find that you know places you think of as cloudy have much more even year-round solar than than we do here. We have three times as much in the summer as we do in the winter, which is oh, the extreme. Yeah, I mean a lot of my clients have eight to nine full sun hours in the middle. You know, on the solstice, summer solstice, and mm-hmm. then they have two point one in the winter solstice. Yeah, yeah. I was I was being generous, going seven seven point five to two point five, but yeah, there are extremes even even beyond that. But that's extreme. Anyhow, uh, so we wanted to talk about batteries. What are your choices? Uh, largely, we're going to be thinking about off grid situation, but we will touch on the topic of batteries on the grid uh, later on in the show. Uh, and I'd like to start off first talking about the old dinosaur in the room that it's still a viable option for most people and perhaps the only affordable one for most people that's the 150 or so year old technology of lead acid batteries um which which historically is what off-graders have have used until very recently starting to consider lithium ion and we'll talk about pros and cons and types of lithium lithium ion batteries in in a little bit but uh the the lead acid batteries are have been the workhorse historically in the off-grid world and continue to be the dominant one although they're starting to get displaced um and and i'd like to talk a little bit about what your choices are in the different flavors of lead acid before we talk about what your choices are in the different flavors of of lithium ion um Lead acid batteries are nominally in name uh, what we call two volt cells, 
and uh, perhaps the smallest of what we consider a deep cycle, one meant for real energy storage and not for starting a engine. Since there's another type of lead-acid battery that's in your car that starts the engine, it's designed to put out absolutely phenomenally huge amperages. But if you draw much total energy from it, it starts to fall apart internally. And so they're really inappropriate to use for real energy storage. Uh, the car battery, you know, puts out a ridiculous amount of amps for two seconds. Very short times. Two seconds and then gets recharged right away by your alternator. So you're only typically cycling at one or two percent of its capacity. And you cycle at five or ten percent, you're starting to do permanent damage. Deep cycle lead acid batteries can't put out that high amperage, but we're typically putting in banks big enough so that they put out way more amperage than we need just to be able to store the energy we need to get through two or three days of cloudy weather. So the high amperage requirement's not an issue for off-grid homes. Uh, and the ability to use, you know, more than 5 or 10% of the capacity of the battery is, is huge. And so we're typically talking about deep cycle lead-acid batteries off the grid. Um, they come in two main families. One is what we call vented, sometimes called uh, flooded, sometimes called wet cells. These are the types that have caps on them that you can remove and add water to. Um, there's another family that have several subcategories uh, called maintenance-free sometimes, called VRLA, valve-regulated lead acid, or sealed lead acid. Those are all basically meaning the same thing. They don't have caps that you can that you can add um, water to. Yeah, and they can be installed any any direction but upside down. Uh, yes, um, and they do have little pressure relief valves, but. To, if you did overcharge them, they wouldn't explode from gas buildup pressure. But uh, but you can't put water back in them. So we used yeah. to we used to joke in the off grid world that maintenance free meant maintenance proof. Right. You definitely can cook the electrolyte out of those. If you if, if you're using those, make sure that you set your charge controller and your generator charger set point voltages low enough so that you're never gassing the batteries because you can't put the water back in. Um and uh in both of the uh, in the in the sealed family, there's plain sealed maintenance-free deep cycle and there's agm and there's gel those are the three types i'm aware of uh please in a stationary application do not use the plain deep cycle ones because they're just basically a vented lead acid battery without the caps and and those, and those gel cells very short lifespans. Yeah, they have uh, one particular advantage in really cold climates. They do better than the yep. other than the other types. Yeah, they're they're really best for like a Caltrans light at three thousand or five thousand <laughs> feet on a solar system that you know it can handle that cold situation. It's really not ideal for home stationary storage. So I think I think we're probably in agreement, you and I, that that. If you're going for a sealed lead acid battery, it should probably be an AGM. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I and I would definitely push people if they have the, you know the capacity monetarily to go more in the industrial world because you're going to get a much longer life cycle out of any well, of these lead acid batteries. Yeah, well, that that was my my next discussion: the size of the cells in the various different flavors, and and this tends to be the case in both the sealed and the vented family. You can, you can buy batteries with relatively small cells and buy batteries with large cells. And in general, for a list of several reasons, the larger cell ones are, are going to last longer. Um, and, uh, you know, let's talk about some of the common classic sizes of batteries. The most, most common small battery, deep cycle battery that you'll that you'll see in an off-grid home is is what we would call an RV marine battery. And these are 12-volt batteries, so they have six cells wired in series inside them. They look an awful lot like a car battery. Um, a couple different sizes. The most common sizes are Group 24 and Group 27. Uh, group 27 being bigger by 20, 30% than the Group 24. Um, they... 
are sort of a hybrid between a starting battery and a true deep cycle battery because in the in the marine world they're expected to start the boat engine as well as run the you know the the cabin lights and the radios and things like that when the engine's not running so they're sort now, of if i can inter- interject here real quick mm-hmm. a lot of people in the marine world get these deep cycle batteries for the trolling motors and they think they can run them all the way to zero and charge them up and run them to zero and charge them up there everything's fine but in reality, 50% is really as low as you should take them. Well, and I, I, some of the lower quality, 70% state of charges. Yeah. And, and more realistic. The smaller the cell, the more that's true. I would point out that it's not entirely a function of how low you go, but how low you go times how long you stay low. And so something like a forklift battery, you know, that's being used in a warehouse that, you know, the little light comes on in the forklift that says time to charge. They cruise over and they plug it into a high amperage charger. Those people take it down to, you know, 80% empty and, yep. and get pretty good lifespans out of the batteries because they're recharging it right away. So it doesn't spend a long time low because there's a bad reaction that happens. The lower your battery is, the faster that bad reaction happens. And so it's a combination of how low you go and how long you stay low. And when you're in an off-grid home, the typical ratio of solar to big battery bank size is such that, you know, if you took it down to 80% discharged, it might take you days of decent weather while you're still consuming in your house to get back to full. And and that's not good. And so it's a real common rule of thumb in the off-grid world to you know design your system so that normal cycling is in the top 20% on a daily basis. And in a pinch with extra consumption or extra bad weather, you might let it run down to 50%, as Chris just said. And, and at that point, fire up the generator and get it out of the basement. Um, yeah, and that's, and that's one thing that I've seen with a lot of the older systems, especially the ones that people have really struggled with, is that the solar sizing has been very mismatched to the battery sizing, and that lead acid, at a minimum, really wants 5% of its capacity as a charge, and that you're not going to be able to get that battery to you know bubble and really charge vigorously with anything less, and it's really not even vigorous until you get to 10% of its capacity. So if you just, as an example, have a 1,000 amp hour battery, you really want 100 amps of charging capacity or maybe 150. Mm-hmm. Some of them can handle 20%. Some of them can only really handle 15 or 17% max. And that's what you're going to see in your bulk charge and then the beginning of your absorption charge before it starts to fall off. And that's what can really help keep those batteries healthier a lot longer is that they get a good vigorous charge regularly because that in the winter time that's going to really drop off yeah. so you know in an off-grid world we try to you know design that charge percentage more for in the the worst four months of the year you know to match that up properly so the battery kind of stays healthy without having to run the generator every mm. you know every three or four days in the winter time to keep it up a- alex our awol co-host is uh, uh used to make an analogy about a horse that you didn't want to feed it too fast or you'd choke it force feeding yep. it yeah you, you didn't want to feed it too slow uh if you just left it in the stall all the time it would die of atrophy um just had a big bang here at the studio. Not sure what that was. Um, and, you know, walking around the courtyard was good, but not good enough. You know, you needed to at least get it to a trot and hopefully to a to a canter and a gallop every now and then. But you didn't yeah. want to run it to death. You know, if you ran it at a, at a gallop for too long, you would hurt it too. And uh, yep. we talk about charging and discharging rates as a percentage of the size of the battery to talk in generic terms but what they call a c5 rate is you know typically the max you want to see on a lead acid battery but you really do want to see a c10 rate every now and then to keep them properly exercised but and so people understand that that c5 is you know 20 percent c10 
would so be ten percent. Take the amp hour rating of your battery bank, say that thousand hour battery bank, C five would be two hundred amps. That's the fastest you could charge it without risking thermal damage to the battery. Mm-hmm. And uh C ten would be hundred amps. And that's what yeah, you were talking easy. about. That the good exercise not uh-huh. risking thermal damage. But if you're yeah, down at, at a C two rate, you know, the thing is going to die of atrophy. Yeah, and that and that thermal damage is a real potential in the summertime mm-hmm. when we've got these really hot days. If you don't have a nice, well insulated spot for that battery to live, then you know that battery is real quickly going to start getting up into the high nineties and you know hundred degrees. Just you know where you might have a temperature sensor, but in the internals of that battery, it could be much higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like them sitting on a cement slab, which is another notorious. Uh myth in the battery world it hasn't been true for 60 years that well, you the, the, that you shouldn't the, put a lead acid battery on a on a cement slab yeah the misunderstanding about that is just in the winter time when it's cold you are zapping the ability for the battery to release some of that energy not actually zapping the energy from the battery it's just that it doesn't have the capacity to release everything that it has stored yep. when it, it temperature gets really low. Yeah, when when a battery when a lead acid battery is cold, it uh, it doesn't have the capacity that it said on its label. But actually, it's going to live a longer lifespan. Right. And uh, and actually, a lot of people the cement slabs warmer than their environment because it's so thermally <laughs> linked to the underground when it's out in that uninsulated barn or shed or whatnot anyhow back to the different battery sizes the the rv marine batteries that smallest 12 volt battery that i was talking about my my line is as soon as you need more than one string of rv marine batteries you shouldn't be using rv marine batteries so if you're on a 12 volt system if you need more than one rv marine battery you shouldn't be using rv marine batteries on a 24 i will call them the bottom of the barrel yeah yeah for a very small application portable that sort of thing reasonable uh the next step up in cell size is golf cart batteries which are essentially double the size of the cells of a big rv marine battery um but half the number of cells per battery so they're six volt batteries and instead of being 100 amp hours a piece, they'll be 200 amp hours a piece or so. And a pair of those in series for 12 volts, or uh, four of those in series for 24 volts, or eight of those in series for 48 volts. Um, if you needed twice that capacity of a single string of, say, eight golf cart batteries wired in series for 48 volts uh, you could do a second string of golf cart batteries but one of the things that reduces the lifespan of lead acid batteries um, is the more strings you have so a, a better choice than two strings of golf cart batteries would be a single string of double capacity golf cart batteries commonly known as L16s yeah. um, they're typically around 400 amp hours and 6 volts. So they're just twice the size of the cells of the golf cart batteries. And by having twice the size of the cell, you get by with half the number of strings. Instead of two strings, you could do that system I was just talking about with one string. The problem with multiple strings is whenever there's an imbalance, which there always will be, you'll be charging one string more than the other. And the moment you stop charging, the extra charge in the one flows out of it and into the other, causing wear and tear on both strings that didn't do anyone any good. And the same thing happens in reverse under load. Um, And so the more strings you have, the worse that problem is and the shorter the lifespan of the batteries will be. So bigger cells, smaller number of strings is a particularly important idea for the lead acid world uh beyond the l16s you're typically talking big industrial two volt cells I mean, they might be packaged in six packs so you know it's a giant forkliftable 12 volt segment and you buy four of them for a 48 volt system or whatnot um do you have favorite brands of big industrial batteries chris um, well, well, first, real quick, I just wanted to give people an idea that don't maybe already know. An L16 is generally about 120 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, to give them a concept, you know, where that 6-volt golf cart battery is going to be around 50 to 65 pounds. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's comparable to a car battery, um, a big car battery. 
Yeah, I think um, God, it's slipping me right now. God, I've used them so much. I think it's IDF down in Southern California. Um, does industrial and forklift style batteries. You know, we're talking industrial lead acid with you know cycle life of you know two thousand to three thousand cycles running to fifty or eighty percent depth of discharge. Um, and that's part of why I like the industrials is that generally they are built specifically for 80% depth of discharge mm-hmm. and that they're, they're using kind of the guidelines of like the forklift world and that, you know, in a forklift battery that's lead acid, they're going to run it hard five days a week. You know, every day it's going to get charged up to about 90 or 95%. And then on Friday when they plug it in, that's when it's going to get charged to 100% and probably going to go for an equalized charge on Saturday. And then Sunday is a day of rest and then right back to work on Monday. And so, you know, they get fully charged every week, if not every other week. And pretty much and fully charged, fully almost fully charged every day, and that's key if you're cycling 80%. Right. But they specifically do not charge them fully on Monday through Friday huh. because of... Gassing, you know, water. It's, it's a similar thing with other batteries. That you know, fully charging them every day is kind of pushing it into that stress point. Yeah, and the thermal heat. management and, and watering. Yeah, heat is the real thing. I mean, most people need to understand heat is the enemy of any electrical item. Period. Heat is what causes deterioration and degradation. And the and the more you have that deterioration or degradation the faster it happens the next time so it's an ever accelerating curve that eventually is you know it's a parabolic curve that just starts to point straight up and that every moment of use starts to become absolute destruction as as you get down that path so you know managing the thermal of any item is beneficial particularly your battery because that's the most expensive part of an off-grid system well, I, I often look at costs and long-term longevity and, you know, what the long-term costs are. And it was always interesting that, uh, you know, the numbers have changed a little bit. But for a long time, the L16s were about twice the cost per kilowatt hour of storage capacity as the golf cart batteries were, for example. And they would last about twice the number of years. Right. And and so in the long run they were about the same long term cost with a much lower hassle factor. And so it was sort right. of an issue, you know, do you have the money up front? If so, get the L sixteens. Otherwise, you know, it'll be cheaper for you up front to do the golf cart batteries, but you're gonna have twice as many cells to check and water, twice as many, you know, connections to keep clean and corrosion free and tight, and twice as many swap outs of the battery for about the same cost, but twice the hassle. Um, yeah, and it also makes a watering system a little more affordable. Yeah. So that you don't have to bend over and deal with every individual cell every three or four months. Yeah, and, and it was a similar step up to the big industrial cells. You know, they were going to be, you know, ones that were twice the capacity of the L16s. We're going to be, a bank that was twice the capacity of the L16s was going to be, you know, at least two times as expensive as the L16s, but we're likely to last on the order of twice as long under the same usage. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. And, 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 and I, again, I found that the more expensive the lead-acid battery, generally, the cheaper it is in the long run. Oh, I'm I, I'm have always been a little skeptical of that 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 it that they didn't last as much longer as they were more expensive. But you know that's only anecdotal. So I'd like to see your your analysis on that. Well, and and mostly this goes back to a lot of things you've talked about in previous shows. Of okay, you didn't short it. Okay, you didn't run it down too low and leave it low. You know, because all these different little mistakes that can be made or system failures that can occur can actually eat into and erode the potential life cycle of the battery. Oh, so absolutely. Those things can be avoided and the battery can be protected and used within the characteristics of its specifications, then you very likely get into that 2000 or 2500 or 3000 cycles out of that battery. And, you know, and then, and then you start to see that, longevity so that cost per kilowatt hour over the lifetime of the battery tends to drop 
down below the cost of, say, L16s or something of that nature. The cost, know, the cost of needs, a, poorly, you know, a poorly treated L16. I've seen people with L16s yeah. that were 15 years old and still had a decent capacity. Right. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, to, so to me, it wasn't so much which type of battery you got, but how well you treated it. Right. Which brings up one of absolutely. my jokes when I would teach is, you know, people would ask, how long do batteries last? And my answer was somewhere between 30 seconds and 20 years. Right. <laughs> and I, I 100% agree with that joke. It is a joke, but it is 100% the truth. And it, it just takes somebody messing up with a ratchet or a wrench to just roast, roast your checkbook right there. All right. We, we've got uh, some people calling in. We are going to be opening up the lines in a little bit. Uh, so hang on. Uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the most common question I've been getting recently is should i be going to lithium ion and uh chris you've got a lot more experience with them actually that was another joke i used to use when i was teaching classes was that people would always be coming up with some magical new battery chemistry that was you know looking for venture capital to go into production for 35 years i got promised you know 30 different miracle battery chemistries and sure and uh and I always used to joke that, you know, I'm so jaded by how how many of these miracle batteries have come out in 35 years and have ceased to live up to their to their marketing. Uh, and, you know, within a year on the on the market disappeared from view because they didn't do what they said they were going to do. And uh, and I always joke that when the new miracle battery comes out. I'm going to miss the boat for five years, but at least I didn't go down with the boat the other 30 times in the past 35 yeah. years. Uh, well, you, and you I'm sort of around. I'm sort you of in that coming around. I'm in that bucket now with lithium ion. I've been hesitant for, you know, quite a few years to, to jump on the bandwagon and, and I've had lots of other friends and contractors. I've even installed a number of systems myself and, and have been more and more impressed and they've been out there long enough so that, you know, I'm starting to see that it's not pie in the sky marketing claims of longevity. I will say, beware on the lithium ion of people who tell you that you can cycle them 100%. Some some of them are built to do that. Many of them but are not. Most of the ones most that say that, that you can cycle them 100% are underrating their capacity by 20%. So you're really only cycling them 80%. Some of the companies are doing that, but the companies that are buying Murata cells, which is originally Sony, which is the original lithium-ion cell manufacturer that produced consumer availability in 91 for small cells, mm -hmm. like for, you know, flashlights and mm -hmm. things like that, um, those, those actually, their warranty is very clear. 10,000 cycles, if you go to 80% depth of discharge, or 8,888 cycles if you go to zero. And that they don't care. It's all about the megawatt hours over the life cycle of this battery that have gone out and into the battery. Wow. And they don't differentiate with that. The only differentiation they make is, hey, if you run these too cold, you might lose your warranty. Ah. And that's, that's one of the backdrops of the lithium ion is that many of them do not work you cannot charge them below 32 degrees, and a lot of them will cut out at 41 degrees, which is 5 degrees Celsius. Yeah. yeah. So they yeah. won't let you charge, but you can discharge them to zero. And now some manufacturers are making them, like Relyon is making one that actually has an internal heating component. Wow. So that when it gets really cold, it will warm the battery, and then that's been engineered to not overheat the cells, because, again, heat is the enemy. Right, but too cold. Too cold is a big enemy of of lithium ion. So yeah. the one the one uh, beauty of lithium ion and the sealed lead acid batteries is that you can put them, you know, in in an unventilated space, um, and so they can yeah. be in the space conditioned area of your house and avoid that cold winter temperature outside. Uh, and you don't have to worry about, you know, putting them in an enclosed box and venting it to the outside like you would with the flooded lead-acid batteries. Now, now, code will allow you to do that 
when you have UL 9540 and 9540A approved lithium ion batteries, but I is that mostly a installer, is, that, is that mostly I, a fire restriction? Fire safety? That is a major fire restriction, okay. and UL 9540 is putting these things through the torture test. They are overcharging them, deeply charging them. They're you know they they drop them by like I think seven meters. They run over them. They put torches on them. They drill through them <laughs> because they want to know that these cells will not catastrophically fail and burn your house to the ground because. A not well-built lithium-ion battery can absolutely kill you in your sleep and burn your house to the ground. And this is one of the major drawbacks of a lithium, any lithium iron phosphate or nickel metal cobalt, you know, manganese cobalt um, lithium cells or the uh, nickel cobalt aluminum cells is that when they fail, they produce an enormous amount of hydrogen fluoride gas. And hydrogen fluoride gas can kill 50% of the study subjects in 30 seconds at 33 parts per million. And they have measured 15,000 to 50,000 parts per million coming out of these batteries when they do go into thermal runaway. So, so this is a very serious consideration. Don't, and as don't put it in your house. I still recommend they go outside the house. They go in a detached garage or a shed or in an enclosure that's eight feet from a building. So if they do ever fail, nobody needs to die. Yeah. And this, this thing happened because we are now what's happening with lithium ion. They're much smaller. They're much lighter. So we're putting a lot more energy density into a smaller place so when they do fail there's a lot more that comes out of a smaller place Mm -hmm. and you know the fire regulations on how to even fight these fires is still being developed after all these years of them being deployed commercially and and consumer world you know it's it's still not a hundred percent answered that's interesting well one thing to point out is that the old lead acid batteries outside the vented ones you had to you had to ventilate them you had to provide ventilation to the outside to avoid buildup of explosive hydrogen gas and hydrogen sulfide sulfuric acid droplets and whatnot and that's still that is now a very very clear code in um the california fire code 1206 and that this was not always clear in the residential world but now they have gotten very specific <laughs> They, about that yeah it, it was unless it, it's the vrla batteries and and it's an approved vrla battery you know because they do recognize that those put out one percent of the gas of a flooded lead acid right. battery. Well, they used to they used to say something along the lines must be adequately ventilated and that right. got, that got left up to the local building department to interpret and pretty universally a sealed battery was deemed to not need ventilation and uh and a and a flooded battery was but i guess what i was getting to in the context of those lithium batteries going outside is i always used to crack up at people insulating their their vented battery bank that had passive ventilation going through it all the time you know you can put all the insulation you want in your walls if you leave your doors and windows open the insulation isn't going to keep your batteries warm um but with the sealed batteries like lithium ion you can have them in a you know truly insulated space that's sealed and not ventilated and and hang on to the heat in the winter time and avoid those cold temperatures that they don't like now it is important to note that um as things have developed um most lithium batteries do now come with a little pressure release bung in the case um, because of the just the thermal management of the battery, you know, as it's charging or discharging, there's heat created, you know, because they're not perfectly efficient. So, you know, and anything perfectly efficient doesn't actually do any work. So, well, but- you know, there there is a pressure concern in that I would not, you know, I would not put them into a completely sealed space. I would allow some some amount of pressure relief you know, in any kind of case that they could be put. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm not imagining that tight of a, 
sealed space. Right. <laughs> but well, uh, it's just some people, you know, these days with lead and all the, you know, the caulk available, some people can go overboard. And then uh, I would just say, you know, just be consistent and don't get OCD about sealing a cabinet. Well, would you like to talk about costs of the lithium ions as they compare to the lead acids long term uh, and short term? I mean, as far as the just the purchase price, they're considerably higher than lead acid per kilowatt hour. Um, per per, kil- per, per kilowatt hour rated, but I, I, I always I always want to caution people when you talk about per kilowatt hour rated capacity that it's not a fair comparison because you know right. as we were talking earlier we only want to cycle those lead acid batteries you know 50 percent tops whereas let's say 80 percent tops on that lithium ion unless you got one of those senos um and well, that's the idea is like you you have to you know pay for all of your electricity over the next 20 or 25 or 30 years today and then you're running free and clear in that we are seeing, you know, some of these batteries over their lifetime, you know, we're talking kilowatt hour cost in the, you know, 15 to 25 cent range. We're in lead acid. It tends to, you know, be somewhere more in the 45 to 65 cent range. Wow. Uh, because you're going to run the generator a lot more in a lead acid system than you are in a lithium system. Why is that if they're the same usable capacity? Well, lead acid, you know, has an absorption cycle, so that means that, you know, it's charging at a high rate and then it starts to dump off. So if you need to use your generator to say, you know, like now with the way our weather's been the last few weeks, you know, if people didn't equalize their batteries before this weather started, they need to equalize them now. So they're going to run their generator for a long time for a very small amount of energy. Mm-hmm. Where with a okay. lithium, there's never an equalization cycle. And we, we have systems, you know, 30 kilowatt hour systems with four lithium modules placed. And, and, and it starts the generator at 20% state of charge. And it stops at eighty percent, and it takes one hour and fifty minutes, yeah, yeah. and it's done. So, and so that- the generators—we're getting systems now where we used to shoot for. Hey, if we can keep the generator running less than a hundred hours a year, we've built a really good system that's going to be economical, manageable, serviceable, and maintainable. But those same solar size, battery inverter size. But with a lithium-ion system changed out for the same usable capacity of energy, we're now getting generator run times of 60 hours a year and with those same systems. Yeah. And, that's, and, and we're talking comparisons with, you know, with these last drought years, not like a year like now where it's starting to look like we might have a rainy year like maybe 2005. Or, or 17. You know, where, yeah, where we're talking about, you know, some 40 days and 40 nights of rain, maybe. <laughs> well, the, the first... So the generators are going to be running a lot on some of these systems every day if they're, you know, degraded. And, you know, decent lead-acid systems that probably run in the generator every two or three days. I, I, I got to mention a memory. The very first system I installed in 1983 in Ohio didn't see the sun for its first 60 days of operation (laughs) (laughs) you were worried about those batteries oh yeah Uh, well batteries were a hell of a lot cheaper back then and solar panels were absolutely ridiculously expensive but anyhow that you you're you're sort of tangentially mentioning some of the other advantages of lithium ion and you talked about efficiency you know that they're they're not 100% efficient. They're awfully close. You know, yeah, a, a good brand new... 97%. Yeah, a good brand new lead-acid battery is, you know, maybe 90%. And as time goes on, they're, you know, 85%, 80%. 80% and the lithium, and the lithium ions are up in the perfect. upper 90s. Um, some, of, some of the industrial lead-acids start out around 94, but that drops off pretty quick. Yeah. And I would say that most of the lead-acid batteries you're, you're lucky if you get 88 or 85% efficiency. And then once you look at the overall system efficiency with all the losses and all the wiring and inefficiency of the inverters and charge controllers, generator, everything, 
you can very quickly end up with a system that's 55% efficient, especially if you're dealing with an older battery inverter that's only, say, 75 or 85% efficient. Well, wait a minute. You're, you're, you're not bringing in the uh, 15% efficiency, 20% efficiency of the solar panels. Well, yeah, I'm not <laughs> so, so we're that. talking I'm down talking, in the in the five yeah. percent efficient range or something. Yeah, I'm I'm talking about at, at the output of the solar rather than dealing with that number because that really skews the results yeah. and makes it hard to well, see. And the sunshine you know, was the sunshine was free. <laughs> right. Uh, who, um, who cares but, about the know, efficiency of the solar? And so, you know, most Really, really good battery inverters are running about 94% efficiency. The vast majority of them are 90 is where most of them max out. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's a little bit of wiggle room there that, that is reasonable to work with. Um, but one of, there's two schools of thought, too, with lithium batteries, and that there's what's open loop and closed loop. And closed loop is where the battery is actually talking directly to the inverter. And the, ch- the, and the charge controller. Exactly what's happening. Yeah. And there's, and there's, you know, that's not a perfect world. There's a lot of battery manufacturers. There's a lot of battery inverter manufacturers. And they're not all sitting at the table together. And that many of them, battery companies, are going and doing this stuff on their own and don't really have the support of the battery inverter companies. And it turns out that they, you know, for example, Schneider, you know, when you do an AC coupled system, there's no problems with the energy transfer to the batteries and the communication. But when you do a DC coupled system with their charge controllers, sometimes you start to get cell imbalances when the lithium systems. (laughs) Um, And now that's very dependent on the battery itself and that some of them cannot handle having one module very far lower than the other. Some of them are max 3%, some of them are 10%, some of them it doesn't matter, which is like one of my favorites, Discover. They're expensive. They're not the most expensive, but they're expensive. And you have one of, you know, like we had a problem where somebody bumped one of the wires, so that battery stopped communicating. And so it wasn't charging and discharging similarly with the others because the inverter didn't see it. And I got there and fixed it up, and we just turned on the generator and got it charging, and and the whole system just balanced out. I didn't have to do anything special. No, that's that's what my some systems. My, my father. I'm glad to hear that. My um, I put in a, a a Discover with Schneider equipment at my father-in-law's place. So yeah, some <laughs> of them you have to actually disconnect the high battery and charge the low battery up until it gets close enough to the high battery, and then parallel them again. And then you get into, you know, you got to plug in your computer and you got to do all this funky stuff. And where, you know, like Alex, you know, the, 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 who's been the permanent host here, you know, until recently, he is more of a fan of the open cycle, you know, method, which ultimately I am as well in that we really want batteries that will just work with any inverter. We want agnostic systems. So that all of this stuff easily works together, but many of these lithium batteries don't do well open cycle, open circuit with many battery inverters, and that the battery inverters don't know what's going on with the battery clearly. And they say, oh, it thinks it has an 80% state of charge, but the battery says it has 65 or 95. And so then that, you know, sometimes you have a system go down before the generator starts. Or, you know, the battery's fully charged and it's still trying to run the generator because it doesn't understand that it's full and the battery's just not taking any charge anymore. So, you know, there's a there's many, many products and it can be hard to pick through those products. And, you know, as a and they're still they're still getting dialed in, too. Code. They're still getting dialed in. Yeah. Which is one reason why I was glad I stood on the sideline for at least a little while. Anyhow, we've got about 10 minutes left in the show. I, I promised to open the phone lines. Yeah, let's open we, it up. We haven't left much time for callers, but if you've got questions or comments or feedback, uh, 895-2448 if you want to join the conversation on the air. Otherwise, we'll keep talking as you hear we can do. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to let us keep talking. Um, oh, there's yeah, some. And that's, there's, and that's where I, you know, I got, you know, a really, really expensive blue ion battery. 
Oh, would you, would you just take a call? We just took a call. They're they're patiently okay, waiting. Go. Hey, hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hey. Thanks for taking my call. Sure enough. Um, I've got a question about vehicle batteries. I've got a bunch of motorcycles and cars and boats, and I keep them all on battery tenders. And I'm wondering if it, is that a good idea? You know, they're they're supposed to yeah. top off the battery and then turn off when they're done. But, you know, because the vehicles are spread out all over the place and not getting used every day. I, I would say you're doing the, doing the good thing. Well, if you, if you left it sitting around for months without a charge, that's really bad for the battery. You know. Yeah. Um, and most of the little vehicle tenders are, you know, tiny, tiny voltages above the rest voltage of the battery, which shouldn't hurt the battery and will avoid that sitting around for months without getting charged yeah. problem and and so yes good thing awesome. yeah so I, usually I in that every... case you want a one to five amp charge going you know sometimes as big as 10 depends on how many how big the batteries are and how many batteries the vehicle has yeah i think these are 750 volts i think the no. chargers no. Three, three quarters. probably milliamps so, yeah I mean, they're they're little little battery tenders, you know, for each unit, and then but in the boat it has a a marine style one. It looks a lot larger because they're you know larger marine batteries in the boat. So those look like, yeah. they look like they're designed for the boat, you know. So okay, that's yeah, lead, good news. Lead acid batteries do like to have you know if they're not getting used, they're they're better off sitting on a float charge than not sitting on any charge at all. Mm. Okay, good to know. Thanks for the advice, and thank you for the show. Have a good evening. Sure enough. One, one time I had a, a customer call up my old company that uh, said, I, I bought a system from you guys, and I'm ready to install it. And uh, I said, well, what, what, what's your equipment? And he wanted, you know, instructions, and, uh, and, and, and you bought it from us, right? And he said, yeah, well, here, let me look you up. The, the purchase was two years old, and there were... 16 L16s on the order and they'd been sitting around for two years and we're now fishing weights. Now, hey, we got, I would say we got, at this point we we want to talk about um, battery desulfators and that, that for many years well, nobody knew if they were really worked or not but now they've been proven as to why they work and why they work so well and that people should consider in the lead acid world having a battery desulfator that sits on the system from day one and, and just always is there. And since they will very likely extend the life of your battery two to four times, sends especially a, in the car a, world. A periodic spike of voltage, you know. Yeah, they run like a frequency of like 667 hertz or something like, or megahertz, I think it is, which is. Which also kind of speaks to like why AC battery chargers are actually one of the preferred methods for maintaining lead acid because there's a little bit of that AC frequency that gets through the rectifier that actually helps desulfate and destratify the battery. Now, does pulse width modulation do this something similar? Or is that just too slow? Um, I think that's too slow, hey, but I'm well, not sure. We're running out of time. We've got multiple callers on the line. Let's go. Hello, caller. You've been patiently waiting in the wings. You're live on the air. Hey, thank you very much. It's a great great program. For those of us that have a spare car battery sitting on the shelf, what's the best way of getting some 12-volt lights uh, for these dark, dark evenings? Because <laughs> you ran out of because you have a power outage? Uh, oh, indeed we do. 300-plus houses are shut out <laughs> or shut off on Little Lake Road. Uh, well, uh, you, you may hurt your car battery, for one, uh, by by using it this way. But uh, but you may not care on a night like this. Um, and, uh, you know, you might pick up from, you know, an RV or Marine store some 12-volt lights. If you just searched online, you'll find lots of 12-volt lights. Some of them will be... I would be, definitely recommend an LED yeah, so that it you know, extends your usage by about 10 times. Yeah. Well, the fluorescents are do all right, but the LEDs, well, are, the LEDs are the best. Better than incandescents, but it's just yeah. in the RV world, incandescents are still out there. Yeah, don't, don't buy any incandescents in any circumstance. 
unless you're unless but, you're unless you're hatching chicks. This is not a long term resolve. Yeah. Okay. Um, you it. know, it, it could be that the local RV shop might have some lights for you tomorrow, but you know, if you don't have them tonight, then you're not going to be able to do anything with the 12 volt unless you have 12 volt loads you can attach to it. No, we've got candles tonight. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, an- another possibility is, you know, uh, not a bad thing to have around for emergency bags is a little 12-volt, 150-watt inverter. Yep. And you can sure clip it to battery clips to the to the battery and, and plug in a regular light. And make sure you use fuses on all, all of your loads. Well, hopefully... Hopefully there was a fuse in the DC positive of your inverter cables. Yeah, or if you're hooking up a light, make sure you got it. You know, just running a rough light off a battery, you gotta gotta have a fuse. Yeah, yeah. Because wire wire can burn in bad condition. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Bye. We had another caller just a minute ago who could call back now. The lines are open. Uh, but we are coming down to the wire. And coming up next is Jamie Roberts with a radiogram with some spoken word and music. Um, actually, right after the uh, the Native Plant Society, the local Native Plant Society, what is it, the Sanhedrin Native Plant Society's spot on some particular plant that's native here and uh and we're still not getting that call but i do want to give uh jamie a little bit of time to get into the captain's seat so i usually go out a couple minutes early with some music and and i'd say since we're not getting that last call uh i'm gonna move on over to the music chris all right. Well, thanks, everybody. I'm glad your uh, phone held out for the show. Did or did the power come back? Did they route it? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's off for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Well, good luck, uh, and getting back home to where the lights are still on. Yeah. Thank you. And you be safe out there getting home too. And uh, next week in this time slot, it is point and click, and we'll be back in two weeks with the renewable energy hour. See y'all later. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.